The NFL and Sports Universe continues to send prayers and well wishes to Bill Safety DeMar Hamlin after he went into cardiac arrest on the turf in Cincinnati Monday night. The impact of this terrible incident and his recovery as people wondering where to go from here as far as playing out the final week of the season and what this does to the AFC playoff picture. Donovan Mitchell and Giannis Antetokounmpo reach career highs this week and OKC puts a 150-piece on the Celtics. The Winter Classic is another hit, but where next year's annual game is a bit of a surprise. Plus, the Red Sox finally make a splash, too a little too late. Rutgers does it again, beating Purdue as the number one team in the nation for the second year in a row, and a once-proud program at Georgetown sets a record for futility. Those are some of the things I'll touch on as we get this podcast party started. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rolls Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Five days into the new year, and I hope you're getting after it, because that's what I'm going to do as I share with you all that's happening throughout the sports landscape, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday... I welcome you guys and gals back. Right out of the gate, if you're an NFL fan, football fan, even if you're not, you do have to wonder, someone upstairs, or even the football gods, gave mercy on the NFL this week, in particular today, because this is the first Thursday since September the 8th that a game will not be played on Amazon Prime or NBC, as the Thursday night schedule is now kaput. And more importantly, we hope that the good Lord is shining down on Bill safety, DeMar Hamlin, as he recovers in a Cincinnati hospital from what we witnessed there on Monday night, making a rather routine tackle on Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. But it's what happened after that, that has had the entire league and nation wishing, hoping, and praying that Hamlin comes out on the other side as vibrant and healthy as he can possibly be. As we all know, him going into cardiac arrest right there on the field after making that tackle, just dropping right to the turf. And as we saw earlier this year with Tua Tagovailoa laid out when he suffered a concussion four days prior in Miami, you had that scenario. And then this times 10 where Hamlin had to be resuscitated as we found out later on that his heart had stopped. And thank goodness for all those first responders, all the medical people on both sides, whether it be from the Bills or the Bengals or anybody else that was in the building who was qualified to save this young man's life, getting him into an ambulance and off into the night as he continues to rest, showing signs of progress, improvement, and that's all that we could ever hope and imagine for after witnessing that scary incident there on Monday night. Something that I've never seen, and I'm sure a lot of folks haven't seen, as long as you're even my age, the older folk could get a bit of a sense or a grasp of back in 1971, you had a wide receiver named Chuck Hughes from the Detroit Lions, 
fatally dying on the field. But because the game wasn't televised, and of course the world we live in now compared to back then is light years ahead when it comes to information, processing news, and disseminating it out to the world, and having his widow, Sharon Hughes, being interviewed early this week, talking about how he feels for the Hamlin family, how just being a part of reliving this nightmare that she went through 51 or now 52 years ago, and empathizing with the Hamlin family, and how that was a big story here over the last couple of days, as that's the only real story or experience on the field that could come relatively close to the to what we saw there in Cincinnati on Monday. Now granted, Hughes had perished on the field where Hamlin thankfully is still alive. But there's no ACL tear, sadly no concussion, no incident a la Joe Theismann, Alex Smith could even come close to this and as horrific and as gruesome and as ugly as those injuries have been whenever you see a player passed out like that and just the rush of the medics onto the field the concern the frightened looks and the tears running down the faces of his own teammates Josh Allen Stephon Diggs the concern and the worry and it just superseded anything that you could ever imagine And now we're at a point where we hope that Hamlin continues to recover on the plus side, that slowly but surely he comes out of this to where we could all breathe a sigh of relief, we could kind of get back to some normalcy, not only as a community in the NFL, as just a society. And I understand this may not be on everybody's radar, I get that, but considering this is a sports show, it has to be brought up. We can resume play here to the point where week 18 will start Saturday. As I mentioned, no games tonight. And you know that there's going to be a cast over the league this weekend. And I'm sure they are still battling on whether or not to deal with the suspension of this game. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But I know that there's going to be heavy hearts. And I know there's going to be a lot of concern. Because people are going to, more so outside of sports and outside of NFL football, but there's going to be a small faction of people that are going to look and think that, oh, could this happen again this weekend? And as we saw there, as freakish and as terribly unfortunate as what we saw unfold there a few nights ago, people can't think that, oh, this is going to happen again Saturday, Sunday. Now, heaven forbid, I can't guarantee that something like that won't happen. But obviously, you have to look back a half a century to where we had an incident that was worse than what we had there in Cincinnati. And by any means, I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm not trying to say that, oh, you know, everything's fine. Let's just go back to playing football. You know the NFL is going to continue to march on as best as they possibly can. And I get it with a little bit of trepidation because let's just say for argument's sake that and hopefully this is not and will never be the case but if Hamlin's health starts to go the other way it regresses and now you're at a point where what do you do? Do you postpone the final week of the regular season and all of a sudden that goes into the bye week? We know they're not moving to Super Bowl as far as the date goes, not the destination. So now you have to concern yourself on whether or not if Hamlin, hopefully again, he's moving in the trajectory of health improving, being able to be alert, conscious, etc. And I don't want to think of the worst case scenario. I understand you have to put it out there. But I want to be positive. I want to put some good energy and not just think about, oh, What if? But considering he's trending that way, where he's starting that slow but sure recovery to get himself to 100%, the league is going to continue to march on. And Sunday, or Saturday and Sunday, is going to be a scenario where I know 
that a lot of fans and a lot of people are going to look and see what is the mood of the players knowing what they witnessed here on Monday night. And as we pivot to talk about the upcoming schedule, now you got games Saturday to two where you have Kansas City and Vegas, 4.30, followed by Tennessee and Jacksonville for the division. And it's funny because I didn't even talk about this on Monday, but the Titans and the Jaguars still could both get in to the tournament. As wild and crazy as that may sound, but that is a slight possibility. And then you have the full slate Sunday, which was capped off by Detroit at Green Bay, which you knew that was going to happen. I thought that that was going to be the case. But then you have a missing piece there because Seattle is also part of that bottom rung of the NFC. And with them playing Seattle or in Seattle, 425 Sunday afternoon hosting the Rams, if they happen to win that game, they knock Detroit out of the postseason. And now Detroit's going to have to go into Lambeau to see if they could beat the Packers so they won't be able to make it into the postseason where Seattle currently holds that seventh spot in the NFC. If all things were to break right, you'd want Seattle to lose so that Detroit-Green Bay game is a winner-take-all game. I'm sure that's what NBC is hoping for as they have their fingers and legs tightly crossed. But if Seattle wins that 4.25 p.m. game slot, That Detroit-Green Bay game does still mean something, but it's more for the Packers than it is for the Lions. And that's where the NFL, I'm not going to say they screwed up, because what other game are you going to put there? Could you put Jets-Dolphins? Eh. Could you even have put another game of note, Baltimore-Cincinnati? I know that would have been tough because you would have had the specter of Cincinnati and what happened there the other night. Cast a pall over that game, not to say that that's a bad thing, but again, that was the place where these events unfolded. And now, with some of the other games you're not going to put there in that time slot, you're not going to put Buffalo and New England, you're not going to put Pittsburgh and Cleveland, although you could, because Pittsburgh, right now, you'd have to think, with Skylar Thompson, the third-string quarterback in Miami, going up against the Jets, who I'm sure do not want to close out their season, losers of what? Six in a row? Or seven in a row, I should say? Is there, what, seven and threes? No, six in a row. And then Buffalo, you think they're going to be, even with a heavy heart, they're going to be full throttle in front of their fans with all the tributes and everything that's going to engulf that stadium come Sunday and everything that's led up throughout the week into that game. You know they're going to win that game for DeMar. So New England is certainly has a tall order in front of them to see if they could keep their playoff hopes alive in Orchard Park. But the NFL had no choice but to put Rodgers, Lambeau, the Packers, even if the fate of Seattle is going to be known prior to the start of that game. Not a great job, but I understand what was the NFL to do. And now the more intriguing question is the postseason. And I'm going to say it like this. I'm going to tell you what I think the NFL will do. But I'm going to break it down as to what the NFL schedule should look like after week 18. We still have this game to make up between Buffalo and Cincinnati. And I don't care who you are and how you want to break it down. There's no way that they are going to make this game a tie or no contest. Or because it was 7-3 in the first quarter, give it to the Bengals. Uh Uh-uh. That's not going to happen because the Bills have worked hard all year long to get that number one seed. We know their history over the last couple of years in the postseason, losing an arrowhead, and now being able to beat the Chiefs early on this year. And despite the fact that they're a half game back with the Chiefs playing on Sunday, and of course the game was incomplete on Monday night, that it's unfair for the Bills not to be able to play that game to see whether or not who's going to have that one seed in the AFC. And as it is, they will have a buy, but it's not going to be a conventional buy based on these events that have taken place. And now you're going to have to do your best to squeeze in the playoffs in both conferences 
accordingly to where when we get to the Super Bowl, which now you're going to have to exclude the bye week. That is gone. Forget about having the big media day in a pomp and circumstance when you have that two-week layoff between the championship games and the Super Bowl. That's out the window. And I'm sure the NFL is highly considering that. But this is how I think the schedule should break down in comparison to what I think the NFL will do. But I'll start with the NFL first. I think what they're going to do is they're going to have the Bills and Bengals make up their game after the regular season. So whether it be a standalone game that Saturday night where you'll have Bills-Bengals and I'm sure they'll probably have a scenario where a lot of the money that's generated is going to go to DeMar Hamlin's charities. We know about Hamlin's GoFundMe page where he was trying to generate $2,500, I believe, for toys in the area where he grew up in outside of Pittsburgh. And that's reached over $5 million, which is unbelievable when you think about it. And I'm sure once he hears about that, I can't even imagine the emotion that's just going to overcome him. And mind you, he's going through what he's going through on top of that. So just a great job by people chipping in their money and for this cause. But have that as a standalone game. Then the following day, you'll have the NFC wildcard, the three games, 1-4-30-8-15. No game Monday night, as expected. The following week, you'll have the AFC wild card, the three games. Chances are they'll play it that Sunday. So now you have a scenario where 1-4-30-8-15, Sunday slate, AFC wild card. The following week, now you'll have the divisional rounds. AFC, NFC, you'll have it in its time slots, 4.30, Saturday, 3 p.m., 6.30 Sunday, which will be the weekend of the 28th, 29th. The following week, which would have been the bye week, the Sunday before the Super Bowl and after the championship games, you'll have your AFC and NFC title games, and then on the 12th, you have the Super Bowl. That's what the NFL, I think, will do. What I think the NFL should do is this. Bills-Bengals standalone game Saturday night for the one seed for Buffalo. If that's the case, and I understand you have these permutations, you would think KC's going to beat Vegas. If they don't, then that changes things a little bit. Obviously, the Bengals and Ravens have to play on Sunday to see who wins the division because remember, if at that point the Ravens beat the Bengals, then they have the tiebreaker for the division. And Bills-Bengals, that's going to be for the AFC North. They lose that, then they're done. But to put that all aside, Bills-Bengals, Saturday night, 8.30 or 8 o'clock, whatever time you want to call it. The weekend after week 18. Sunday, you'll have your NFC wildcard to three games like I mentioned. The following week, you'll have the AFC wildcard, And you'll have your NFC divisional round. So you're going to have five games that weekend. How you break that down, it depends. But I would think you'll have two games Saturday, 4.30, 8.15, and then three games Sunday. I don't know if you want to put the divisional game Saturday and then the wild card game Sunday. I don't know how the NFL is going to do that. So you could separate it by conference. Not that that matters. But let's just say for argument's sake, those five games now take up that weekend, which is the 22nd or 21st and 22nd of January. The following week is a buy for the NFC because remember, you already have played your divisional round. So the following week is just the two games, AFC divisional round. You want to put 3 p.m., 6.30, that's Sunday? Fine. The weekend of the 28th, 29th. The following week, now you have your title games as it's all lined up. AFC, NFC, 3 and 6.30. And then the Super Bowl the following week. The reason why I think the NFL should do that is because of this reason. If they did it 
the way I mentioned is how I think the NFL will go about it is that you're giving the Eagles, in this case, let's just say for argument's sake, they end up being the one seed. They're going to have three weeks off until they play their first game. That's unfair. I'm sure if the Eagles, for whatever the reason, let's say they don't play well and lose, they're going to attribute to that three-week layoff. Or if they suffer a big injury, because again, having three weeks to get your guys revved up, ready to go, we understand that they are conditioned and professional athletes, but you never know. You get a rainy day, a slick day, an icy day, and next thing you know, guys are leaving with hamstrings or, dare I even say, broken bones. And now, even if they win that game, they go to the championship game with uncertainty. So having the NFC, one more time, wild card round, the following week, divisional round. Because the Eagles will have two weeks off. And then you're giving the NFC another week off. For all intents and purposes, is it fair that the NFC gets that extra bye week? Unfortunately, these are the circumstances. In order to have it fair across the board, especially on the NFC, to not have the Eagles go three weeks without playing a football game. And as it is, they have something to play for on Sunday when they host the Giants, and I would think Jalen Hurts is going to be back in the game or be back in the lineup. But to have them go three weeks without playing, I think is just unfair, and you want to have that competitive balance. So if the NFC wildcard is that weekend or that Sunday after the Bills-Bengals regular season finale, and then the following week you have the two divisional games in the NFC, you break it up with a bye, okay, and then come back for the championship game, I think makes perfect sense. And no, you're not going to have them play a divisional round and then have them play the following week in an NFC championship game where the AFC has their divisional round and then the AFC title game is the week after. You're not going to have the NFC title game one week and then the AFC title the following where they don't have a bye, but the NFC team does have a bye going into the Super Bowl. That's not fair. So you have to give that buy in between the divisional round and the championship game. And that's where the AFC during that bye week will have their divisional round, which will lead into the championship games, which will take place one more time, February the 5th. To me, that's how I think the NFL should do it, just to give the Eagles at least a bit of an advantage there, as opposed to having the three weeks off. And yes, I understand it's unconventional, and people are going to say, oh, come on, Jay Reels, how are you going to have that where the NFC is going to have a bye in the middle of the postseason? All right, well, if the Eagle fan, for whatever the reason, they lose in the divisional round because they had three weeks off, or people are going off to the sidelines with hamstring injuries or whatever it may be, then I don't want to hear it if they lose a championship game or worse, lose that divisional game. So to me, that's the way to keep it at least as fair and competitive as possible. They get that bye week in between where the AFC will have the divisional round that Sunday. To me, I think that's the best way to do it. I think the NFL will do the former. I'd be a little surprised if they do the latter. But let's see what's going to happen here. And I understand a lot of this is all based on Hamlin and his health. Heaven forbid, if it goes the other way, then all bets are off. I don't know what they do at that point. But right now, considering that the news is encouraging, you would think that this is the route that they're going to go, and nothing has been announced as of right this moment. And I'm sure they're going to have to come up with a plan by tomorrow, and maybe they're going to wait until Monday at the latest. Maybe they'll let us know about Bill's Bengals as to when they're going to make up that game, and the playoffs they're going to maybe push until maybe Monday. But we're going to have to wait and see. That's all there is to it. To break down everything, as I talked about on Monday, we all know what the potential prospects are when it comes to the postseason. And I understand it's really small potatoes, especially after what happened. But again, it's a sports show. I have to dive into it a little bit. And I'll do so real quick. AFC, we know that if Kansas City wins... They'll keep their perch as of right now. 
as the top seed in the AFC. We got to see what happens with Buffalo over the course of these last two games. But we do know if Buffalo wins out, they'll have the one seed. Kansas City, in all likelihood, will have the two unless they lose and Cincinnati wins because they have the tiebreaker advantage. After that, your three seed, depending on how it breaks down, because it could be Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, although Baltimore could upset that apple cart. If they win on Sunday, Cincinnati loses both of their games, then they'll have the three seed. But for all intents and purposes, let's just say Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, your fourth seed could be Jacksonville with a win on Saturday night. Now, there is a possibility that if Jacksonville loses and Tennessee wins, Tennessee will win the division based on better division record, even though they would have split during the regular season. But Jacksonville could get in as a seventh seed if all the following happen. Miami, New England, and Pittsburgh all lose because Jacksonville will have a tiebreaker and they'll be the seventh seed. Right now, you have Baltimore five, or excuse me, you have the Chargers five, Baltimore six, and then whoever gets that seventh seed, which could be Pittsburgh, as I mentioned, because with Skylar Thompson being the third-string quarterback and with the Patriots going into Buffalo, which will be just, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like, that atmosphere, that setting, etc. And then Pittsburgh hosting Cleveland. There is a shot for Pittsburgh to get into the back door and make it into the playoffs. In the NFC, if Philly wins, they have the one seed. San Francisco wins, they have the two seed. If they lose and Minnesota wins, then Minnesota will have the two seed. There is a shot for San Francisco to get the one seed if Philly loses and San Francisco wins. There is a chance for Dallas to get the one seed if both Philly and San Francisco lose and Dallas wins. But let's just say Philly, San Francisco, then Minnesota, followed by Tampa as they clinch the NFC South. Dallas is entrenched at five. The Giants are at six. And as I mentioned earlier, if Seattle wins and Green Bay loses, then Seattle gets the seventh seed. If Seattle loses, the winner of Detroit-Green Bay goes to the postseason. And, of course, even if Seattle does win, as long as Green Bay wins, they'll make it as a seventh seed based on better conference record than the Seahawks. And that's your entire playoff picture there in a nutshell. College football... I'll talk about the championship game on Monday. At that point, we will reconvene and get into TCU in Georgia for the right to win the first championship here in the new year. So I'll talk about that then. But that is all your football as we get ready for the final weekend and the final week of the regular season here in the NFL. All right, now I'll lace up my high tops and get into the NBA real quick. And you had a lot of I'll just call it a numbers game this week because for whatever the reason, it seemed like players were reaching career highs or in a case of Klay Thompson, 54 points against Atlanta. I understand it was a double overtime, but Klay Thompson turned back the clock a little bit. His career high is 60. Not a career high for him, but he had a point total in the 50s. You had Giannis Antetokounmpo get his career high of 55 against Washington the other night to where he said that he wants his game to be boring. And... I guess if a 55-point night is boring, then, geez, what is 71 points for one Donovan Mitchell there for the Cleveland Cavaliers as he did on Monday against the Bulls? And funny how the next day, the random PED test, I guess the people who were at his locker trying to get a sample, considering that he just scored 71 points, which was the most since Kobe Bryant almost 17 years ago, actually did it January 22nd, 2006, and I remember that only because that was the day of the title games in the NFL where the Steelers beat the Broncos to go to the Super Bowl for the first time since Super Bowl 30, 10 years prior to that. So that's how I remember that day, 81 against Toronto, as we all know, and Donovan hit 71. So you had all these career highs and all these achievements individually by some of the top players in the league. And then to watch the Celtics get pasted by the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they did beat them early in the year where Oklahoma was very competitive. But they did not have Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the lineup. And this is not to knock the team by any stretch because we know that they have a good young squad and they have all these draft picks upcoming. 
and players like Josh Giddy and SGA went healthy. But when we see guys like Jalen Williams and Lou Dort and the aforementioned Giddy put up 150 points on the Celtics, you got to look around and say to yourself, wait a minute, this isn't the 2012 James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant team. Far from it. And again, it's not to knock these young bucks, but geez, when I saw that, I couldn't believe what what I was, I had to rub my eyes a couple times to say, wait, 150? And remember earlier this year, I got in the nets for giving up, what, 153 points to Sacramento? And just to see 150 points in an NBA game, and I get it, the game is a lot different. Fast break, transition, the three-point ball, etc. But I could see if you gave up 150 to a good team. And again, this isn't to drop a big giant deuce on the Oklahoma City Thunder. But can we call it like we see it? Despite them being young and talented, etc., they are 16 and 22. I could see if this was the Pelicans or the Grizzlies. Uh, all right, 150. You don't like it, but we understand those are teams that have a bit of a track record, teams that have some offensive firepower, and they did this without their best offensive player. So, be that as it may, that's what you got there with the NBA over the course of these past few games or past few days. And then you also have a scenario where, speaking of the Pelicans, Zion Williamson is now going to be out three weeks with a right hamstring. And we know the Pelicans have played well. They've been hovering at the top or at the top throughout the course of the season there in the Western Conference. And it's a three-week injury to where they're going to look at it then. Hopefully it isn't anything too serious to where he's got to sit out months at a time because we know the Pelicans, they've been everything that we've expected based on the end of the regular season and into the postseason last year, what we saw in the postseason against the Phoenix Suns and having Zion, who could be, I'm not saying he is people, so before you start to drive off the road or drop your phone or do a record scratch across your living room, They could be, or Zion, I should say, could be the face of this league in the next four or five years. That's the kind of impact that he could have based on his strength. I know he has to stay healthy, people. I get it, and that is a giant if. But this could be the guy to take over the torch. And I know you have a lot of great young players in the league. John Morant, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum. I go on down the list. But Zion could be that guy of the force, strength, athletic ability, a linebacker playing power forward, all of it. But hopefully he comes back in a month's time that the injury, although they're going to reevaluate in three weeks, but one more time, let's just hope he's not on the shelf for any longer than that. And in the NBA, what we currently have standing-wise Some separation out west, because remember, we talked about a few weeks back how the 1 through 10 or even 11, they were separated by four games. Now you have a little bit of length there where it's seven, where Utah, and remember Utah, they got off to a 10 and 4 start, and I picked them as an under, and they're still going to blow past their over-under number at 24 and a half, but now they're currently 10th in the conference and the T-Wolves, and we know that they've had a very disappointing year. They're just... Percentage points and a half game back from there. And then the Lakers are a half game back. So you have teams hovering at the bottom of that 7-10 through 10 bracket. They're out west. The Mavericks have played well. Speaking of Luka, winning seven in a row. As he's a one-man band there. The Nets had an 11-game winning streak snapped by the Bulls yesterday in Chicago. So... They continue to put pressure as they're just a game back of the Celtics in the East. Same for the Bucks, as they have the same record, the Nets and Bucks at 25 and 13. Then you have Cleveland just a half game behind them. It's going to be very competitive and give it up. Cleveland, we thought that they could be that team. I picked them as an over this year. And obviously that's looking pretty good as we approach the halfway point of the season. As a lot of teams have played around 36, 37, 38 games. And the NBA, as we know, once the NFL, and I get it, the postseason, we're going to be just riveted 
and invested in that. But the NBA and NHL will soon now take, I'm not going to say precedence, but it's going to be more in the forefront of our consciousness as sports fans as the NFL season starts to slowly set their sun out in the distance and the NBA and NHL will start to rise here. Still got some weeks to go, of course, but again, that's going to play into it. And speaking of the NHL, you had the Winter Classic the other day in Boston where it was a great setting, Fenway Park, the old venerable ballpark where the Penguins and Bruins faced off there around 2.30 on Monday. And they brought out Jason Varitek, Tim Wakefield, the old Boston Bruins there, Johnny Busick, the legendary Bobby Orr. They had a first puck pitch, which I thought was a little bit strange or peculiar, however you want to call it. But hey, give it up. They try to do something different. Bobby Orr, I know he skipped a shot to Varitek, but that's fine. Not that you expected it to be bullseye as a strike there behind the rink out in left field. But I did like that. That was a good way to launch or set up the Winter Classic. And then you had the Red Sox players coming in the vintage throwback Boston uniforms warming up before the game, which was a balmy 49 degrees in Boston. So maybe it was more of a late fall classic as opposed to a Winter Classic. When you think back to last year in Minnesota, Target Field where the Blues and Wild play where the face-off or opening face-off, the temperature was minus 5 degrees. You want to talk about Winter Classic? That was more like a Frostbite Classic. But this year, the game, even with it being mild, you had the two goals in the third period by Jake DeBrusque, and you got the game winner there with about two and a half minutes to go as the Bruins prevailed 2-1. to one. Now, we all know how well they've done on home ice, but it doesn't matter whether it's in the TD Garden or at Fenway Park. You could probably put them in Foxborough. And maybe they want to go to Foxborough at some point in February to have another Winter Classic just so they can have another venue where they could win because no matter where they are in the state of Massachusetts, they have been successful. So the Bruins continue to play well as we see. And another Winter Classic in the books, although it didn't have the snow or the frost or the breath, the smoke coming out of the players' mouths, you didn't get any of that for sure. But I thought another good Warrior Classic, and that's probably the best thing the NHL has done going back to, what, 2006 when they had the first one there in Buffalo between the Penguins and Sabres. And now next year, your Winter Classic, although it's a little bit strange, and I understand why the NHL is doing it, and it's taking place, I thought it'd probably be in Lumen Field where the Seahawks play, but you're going to have Vegas... Go to Seattle to play the Kraken. They're playing the game in T-Mobile Park, which is where the Mariners play. Now, we know Seattle, it's wet, it's rainy, overcast. I don't know how that's going to play in a Winter Classic. And listen, I'm far from a meteorologist. I'm far from a guy as to where you should play the Winter Classic. I understand they're not going to play it in South Florida where you're going to have the Lightning and Panthers play on January 1st. I get that. And I understand that the league, they want to highlight the two expansion teams where the Golden Knights five years ago entered the league, and we all know made it to a Stanley Cup final in that first year, and then the Kraken now in their second year actually playing pretty well after going through the bumps and bruises of an inaugural season. Can't say that to Vegas, because obviously they went all the way to a Stanley Cup final and lost to the Capitals, as we know, but I found that a little bit surprising and maybe a little peculiar, but I understand why, as they want to highlight these two teams to get themselves on that platform, that showcase to be the standalone game on TNT January 1st of next year. So you're not going to see the game in Chicago or Buffalo or even New York for that matter, Detroit. You name it, this time around, it's going to be in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know how the NHL fan feels about that. I'm sure they don't care. But I'm sure you have some which would love to see it in maybe an original six city or even better in a city where obviously it's going to be cold, it's going to be frigid, and 
It's going to feel like a winter classic. Not to say that won't be the case in Seattle, but you get my drift. All right, now I'm going to turn my attention to baseball because we had a signing of note to discuss. And I wonder if it's too little too late for the Red Sox fan because we've seen what has transpired this offseason with all these free agents going everywhere and we still don't have any closure on Carlos Correa and I'm not going to go there, people. When they come up with the contract, I will say this though, when they come up with the contract, because now the report is that the contract has been drastically changed, until I see what that is, then I'll discuss it. What has drastically changed? What does that mean? We're going from 12 years to 8 years, 12 years to 5 years, 12 years to 6? What does that mean? So until we get word as to what that is, and now as it's in its third week, then wake me up and we'll discuss. But until then, I have nothing else to add. But as far as the Red Sox go, we saw what happened years ago with Mookie Betts. And I understand that was probably more on Betts because maybe in this camp, no matter how much money the Red Sox threw at him, he wanted to go elsewhere and test the free agent waters. Therefore, they traded him for Alex Verdugo and a bunch of other prospects. And then we saw what happened this offseason where Xander Bogarts, a lot of Red Sox fans wanted him back. There was one offer that was made, a very paltry one at that, similar to what the Red Sox did earlier with Rafael Devers. I'll get to that in a minute. But with Bogarts, I think it was a one-year or two-year deal, $60 million, whatever it was. And obviously Bogarts and his representatives balked at that. And we, as we all know, he signed with the Padres there, 11 years, $285 million. So now the Red Sox fan is in frenzy. And funny as it is, when we talk about the Winter Classic, John Henry, one of the owners of the Red Sox, were in attendance. And when he was introduced, what do you think happened? Cascades of boos were raining down on Fenway Park. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it seems as if the Red Sox were operating as a small market team, considering, okay, they brought in the Japanese import, Yoshida, the outfielder, whatever it was, $90 million for five years. All right, a bit of the unknown, but okay. A guy we could put out in the outfield and let's see what happens. But not re-signing Xander Bogarts, not being able to go after some of these big players in free agency, not a lot of activity. You could bring in all the Kenley Jansons and the Chris Martins and the Justin Turners of the world, but if you want to be competitive with the Yankees and what they've done, with Toronto and what they've been able to do, the Orioles, you think they're only going to get better. The Rays, as we know, not spectacular, but they've been steady as can be, and they always seem to find a way to put themselves in the middle of a pennant race. And then the Red Sox, who were in last place, hadn't done much, fringe deals here and there. Now, a couple days ago, they did sign Rafael Devers one year, $17 million. I don't know why that was announced, because yesterday or last night, they inked him to an 11-year, $331 million deal as the third baseman for the next decade plus in Boston to where I think that the Red Sox fan is probably thinking too little too late. It was almost as if the Red Sox had to do that and had no choice. And maybe there was a bit of a reluctance on them knowing what had taken place with the Bogarts negotiations and obviously some of the free agents that they brought in this offseason. And I'm sure the Red Sox fan, they probably say, oh, all right, yeah, great, we got Devers, but... Is Trevor Story going to be our shortstop? Are they going to move him over? Okay, now he's going to play second base. And what is our outfield going to look like? All right, Verdugo and left. I guess Yoshida and right. Who's our center fielder? Are we bringing back Jackie Bradley Jr. for one year just as a stopgap? So the Red Sox, I get it. All the success that they had here in this century, winning the four World Series, just winning one. Now as we flip the calendar five years ago. But as we all know, It has been one year up, next year down. One year good, one year bad. There has not been consistency over the course of, let's say, the last 10 years. 2012, Bobby Valentine, we saw how that worked. Then John Farrell in 2013, they won a World Series. And then 2018, World Series. And now four years later, last place. So I'm sure the Red Sox fan, although they could say, all right, well, at least we got one guy in the mix, but... I'm sure they're thinking, we want more. How are we going to compete with the Yanks, Jays, Rays, 
and Orioles this upcoming season. And they have a point. Now as I turn to college basketball, that's it for baseball, people. Nothing much else to get into, discuss, etc. But college basketball, I want to touch on two things. And this is also another sport that's going to be part of our consciousness. More as we get into the latter part of the month and into February. Of course, once we get into late February and into March, everybody's going to be geeked up about the tournament. So you know i got to be on top of things. But who would have thought that for the second year in a row, Rutgers, who by any means is not a basketball hotbed or juggernaut. And we understand Purdue, even going back to the days of Gene Cady, have they've had their success, but have never won a national title. Or at least of recent vintage, going back to the 80s into the 90s, Big Dog Robinson, players like that. But for Rutgers, second year in a row, to beat Purdue, who is number one in both instances, back-to-back years, This time they did it at Purdue. Last year, if you remember, Ron Harper Jr. had a buzzer beater at half court that sunk the Boilermakers out of the number one spot. And now this year, they did it again. They did take the lead with about 13 seconds to go. No half court shot needed. Purdue, a couple of chances there, thwarted by the Scarlet Knights. And Purdue, for the second year in a row, gets swatted by Rutgers, the... Scarlet Knights storm off the court with another victory and another win in their back pocket beating a number one seed in the country. Doesn't get any better than that. Sad part is Rutgers, and I haven't really followed them, but you would think that Rutgers is not even going to be part of the discussion when it comes to the tournament when we get into the month of March. But I had to bring that up. I haven't really taught college basketball and knowing that Purdue has been number one and Rutgers for the second straight year was able to upset the apple cart. And not only did they do it for a second consecutive year, but they did it at Purdue, which is even more impressive. What's not impressive are the Georgetown Hoyas. And I'm a big Georgetown fan going back to the 80s. And knowing that this program, where I'm sure a lot of people thought that once Patrick Ewing was going to be the coach and hope sprung eternal to think that maybe, just maybe, they could get some recruits. And dare I even say, come close to the halcyon days of those early to mid-80 Georgetown teams to where they went to three Final Fours, three championship games, and won one. And we all know should have won two. And maybe even three if it wasn't for Michael Jordan. They lost to Villanova last night and now set the record for most consecutive losses in the conference, which was currently held by DePaul. Now Georgetown stands alone at 25 consecutive defeats in the Big East. And you have to wonder whether or not Patrick Ewing, and I'm sure it's going to be mutual because there's no way that the administration is going to go to Ewing, which is by far, their most decorated and best player in the history of that school. That there's no way they're going to go to him and just say, Patrick, it's not working out. It's time for you to go and show him the door. When that day comes, I don't think it's going to be if. When that day comes, I'm sure it's going to be mutual. I'm sure Patrick's going to say, I can't lead this team anymore. We've now hit this streak of futility. Remember, they came off of a tournament appearance two years ago after sweeping through the Big East, and then they got smoked by Colorado. But that, again, not that that was five, ten years ago, that was just two years ago. And granted that they ran the table, and it wasn't anywhere close to a vintage Georgetown team or an overly impressive Georgetown team. We understand by winning the Big East, they got into the tournament, and we saw what happened in their first game getting smoked. But you do have to wonder whether or not Patrick Ewing is going to be long for these parts as coach of this team if they continue to play poorly. And I understand, we all know college basketball, just like football, certain regions, certain areas, whatever, it's all about recruitment. And if they're not getting the players, if they're not getting top high school talent, how do you expect them to compete? And even think about being a tournament team if they don't even have players that could take them as far as the NCAA tournament. 
It's just a shame. Sad to see. And not that I expected Ewing to be the guy that was going to bring Georgetown back to prominence. It's similar to St. John's when they brought Chris Mullen back, and how did that turn out? I get it that Ewing does have, on his resume, a tournament bid back in 2020. But that's only going to go but so far. In fact, that shouldn't even go far, considering he was a one-and-done. I got to call as I see it, people. So, Georgetown, hopefully they can snap this streak. Georgetown, obviously I don't expect much out of this team when it comes to playing in the Big East or in the tournament or, dare I even say, going to the Big Dance, March Madness. So, we're just going to have to continue as Georgetown fans to either start putting the bags over our heads, even though that's something I would never do, but... It looks like it's going to be another long, dark season down in D.C. and with no signs of hope on the horizon. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. Once again, I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you so much for taking a chance on listening to yours truly, Jay Reels, on all that's happening in the world of sports. And like I mentioned at the very top, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. Come on, people. The sports fan in your life, casual, die hard, whomever it may be, pass it along to them, have them take a screenshot, send it to me on social media. Let's share it with everybody as word of mouth, as we all know, could be very helpful in getting the word out for this podcast. And if you haven't done so, if you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so with the following, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, and the old-fashioned way with a question, comment, or suggestion, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this endeavor. The upkeep of the website, this whole production, the equipment that's involved to make this experience into this microphone to your earbuds or speakers that much more vibrant, that much more electric. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. It's in the DNA. It's in the blood, as I like to say. Whether it's critiquing, praising, with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, my energy, passion, fire, fury on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>